Mark chapter 4, verse 1, he began to teach by the seaside. There was gathered to him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea and the land, and he taught them many things by parables. And he said unto them, His doctrine, hearken, behold, there went out a sword to sow, and it came to pass. As he sowed, some fell by the wayside. The fowls of the air came and devoured it, and some fell on the stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. When the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on the good ground, and it yielded fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty and some sixty, and some in a hundred. As we look at Mark chapter 4, we'll return to chapter 3 and finish that. But we saw the hatred directed towards Christ in chapter 3, the rejection by the Jewish nation of their Messiah. When it is repeatedly said in the Gospels during this time in its ministry, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And many would think that uh, had the Jews accepted Christ, he could have established an earthly kingdom at that point. I'm not going to debate the matter. The matter here in chapter 4 is about their refusal to hear. In this parable, which we consider so common, so basic, God makes sure to clarify in his Holy Scripture that without understanding this parable, the disciples would not understand the rest of the parables. And so he goes through and he tells them about the sower, and the seed, uh, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but really the purpose of this is the soil, and identification of four different types of soil. And I know most people in the application are looking at the unsaved and how they respond to the gospel. This morning my concern is not the unsaved, because the majority sitting here are born again. My concern is the Christian, and how the Christian responds to the word of God. Now, some would think, by misunderstanding the parable, oh, pastor, if I'm a born-again child of God, I'm good soil. When you got saved, your heart was good soil at that moment. How many of you have a yard large enough to realize good soil doesn't always stay good soil? Weeds, rocks, and a million other things. If you've been out to my house, you know that acre that I have is... Not good soil. It would take a lot of work to turn it into good soil. I don't have the desire, the time, or the energy to do that. So we enjoy the force that God has given us. And too many Christians say, you know what? I'm not going to put the time and the effort necessary into making sure my heart is good soil, prepared for the Word of God. Now, Jump down with me to verse 9. We stopped at verse 8, but I really believe the key to the chapter is found in verse 9 through 13. Because Christ, when this multitude is following him, we're talking about tonight how his mother and brethren show up and they consider him to be mad. I, I don't believe Mary falls in that category, but she was actually with them when they came searching for Jesus. But we do realize, as described the Pharisees said, this man is really doing what he is doing through the power of Satan. But there was a general rejection by the nation of Israel. Although they had waited for the Messiah for hundreds of years, there was an absolute total rejection of the Messiah 
when he appeared upon the earth, even after the miracles that he had done. You would think this kind of verification would cause them to embrace him as the Messiah. It did not. But this chapter is about our ears and our heart and what we do with our ears and our heart. Look what it says in verse 9. He said unto them. So he's still looking at the crowd. He's still directing the crowd. He's got in order to avoid the multitude. He's gotten on a boat. He's out just off the shore, but preaching to them. And he says to them, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now it would have been funny had he said, he that hath ears. Because most of you were born with two. But the problem is, it's not that we use those often in a home. The lady's complaint is, are you hearing anything I just said to you? And men, if they've been married any time at all, are smart enough. Even if they tune out what is being said, they tune into the last phrase before the woman stops. The key young men to those kind of conversations is at least being aware of the last sentence or two that came out of her mouth. But to be honest, the majority of preaching and sowing and Bible teaching that is done is nothing more than vacuum noise in the background. And suddenly we're taken back from our imaginations and our thoughts and our preoccupations. You say, Pastor, that happened in, in any bit of Baptist church Bible preaching uh, where the Word of God is regularly given. Yes, it happens, and I believe the percentages likely are about the same as in this story. One out of every four comes in with good soil, prepared heart, ready to hear and make an immediate application of the Word of God. I know pastors who get disturbed and discouraged because 10 minutes after the service, they'll be talking to someone and it seems as if they can't find anyone that even remembers what the morning service was about, including their wife and family. <laughs> that is the purpose of this parable, to give to the sower some level of encouragement and saying, the seed, the power is in the seed, not the sower. Look what it says, verse 10. So when he was alone, he now has left the crowd. He's alone with the disciples. Now the sister text to this in Matthew is Matthew 13. And you realize there's a litany of parables that is given right after this one. This is the key parable. This is the first, really the first parable that we see other stories were given, but this is the first parable given in his ministry. And now there will be parable after parable given. And many of us understand this was not about clarifying truth, but hiding the truth. This was not about revealing the truth, but about concealing the truth. Verse 11, verse 10, so then... Uh, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable, and he said to them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now, we talk about the kingdom of God. We're, we're talking about God ruling and reigning in hearts in man on the earth before a literal, visible, physical kingdom is set up. And here, Christ is going to, as we saw last week, send forth his disciples. We understand churches will be planted, but he's letting them know as you go and you preach and you teach, 
here's what is going to take place. You're going to preach on, and, and sow the seed on all kind of different soils. Not everyone is going to respond the same way. Your duty is to sow the seed. The soil is unique, speaking the heart of each person. But unto them that are without, he said, now listen, here's what I'm doing through these parables. I'm revealing to you the, the mystery of the kingdom of God, but I'm hiding from them in the exact same service. I'm hiding from them the exact same message. Uh, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables that seeing they may see and not perceive. Now hold on for a second. This is totally opposite than what is taught in the average pulpit. Isn't everything supposed to be super simplified? Christ has obviously never been to Bible college and taken classes on church planning because the mega church philosophy would tell you you get everyone you can in the seat by all means, even if you have to distort the seed. You just get them. The seed is not sufficient. You've got to help the seed and Christ is doing the opposite. He said, those that would see that they may not see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. I, at times, when we were living in the Hispanic countries, our kids were little, and there were moments when Chris would be misbehaving in a church setting, and I would be preaching along, and then I would say, right in the middle of the Spanish message, a little word of correction, and say, son, you might want to help yourself out by not doing what you're doing. And then I'd continue preaching. Mm -hmm. I would slip it in there so softly, and oftentimes so unnoticed, people had no clue what I was doing. But my purpose was to change my speech to address want. Yes. and keep everyone else from knowing what was going on. Now that we're in the States, oftentimes my wife and I will be around people and we've got to make a quick comment. We don't want anyone else around to know what we're saying, so we'll speak in Spanish. So in the middle of the moment, I want to address a certain crowd of hearers, and by doing that, I eliminate a certain group of those same hearers. And here's what Christ is saying. Christ is saying, I've come, I've revealed myself as the Messiah. The majority of the Jews have already rejected me. Instead of simplifying the message, he complicates the message, and he says, I'm going to speak now by way of parables, and a lot of that is simply about teaching you about the kingdom of God. And those that don't want to hear those, their punishment is the inability to hear. They have ears, but they've refused to hear. They have eyes, but they've refused to see. They have a heart, but they refuse to understand. So I'm going to make it even more difficult. I know it's a little surprising, but that's at the end of the day is Bible. And had that not come straight from the mouth of Christ, we probably would not believe it. Now, this is the only parable in this group of parables that Christ is going to explain word for word. So he gives the parable, then he explains the purpose of the parables to the disciples, and then he prefaces the explanation in verse 13 by saying this. He said to them, 
Know ye not this parable? How then will ye know all parables? He said this parable is actually the key to understanding all the rest of the parables. In Matthew 13, it's followed by the parable of the wheat and the tares. It's followed by the dragnet of the fish. He, he said, these other parables that are to come throughout my ministry, not just in this day of his teaching, but he's saying throughout my ministry, if you do not understand this parable, you will not understand all the rest of the parables. This is about the soil, how people respond to uh, the seed that is sown. Now, verse 14, Christ immediately begins to explain very simply and thoroughly the parable. Verse 14, the sower soweth the word. Now, your preacher rarely uses alliterated outlines, so God helped. It's the sower, the seed, and the soil. It can't get any more simplistic <laughs> than that. Now, the emphasis is not on the sower, although he highlights the sower in this parable is speaking of the Son of God. But let's go beyond that because we do understand if we take that same seed, we've been commanded to sow, so all of us are sowers. I don't believe there should be any exemption or any, any person that says, I don't have the gift of sowing. Haven't you seen the old pictures of the sower in the Old Testament? It's not like the sowing that it's done today with high tech and tractors and everything else. Literally, they walked with a bag of seed and they would simply grab it and throw it and spread it. So if you say, I'm not gifted, I don't have a tractor, I'm not familiar with the technology, I wasn't born or raised a farmer, none of that matters because God has given you the seed, amen? You're supposed to be spreading the seed. Most Christians have a stiff arm and a stiff lip and a stiff heart. Can you imagine how evangelized this world would be if every born-again child of God would understand their spiritual duty to sow the seed? There's so many different ways you can sow the seed. In this day and age, it's facilitated. I remember years ago, uh, we were listening to music. I, I rarely listen to music, but I had one of my brothers with me, and he was looking around the car. He said, bro, you have no music in this vehicle. I said, I listen to preaching the Word of God. I'm spiritual, bro. <laughs> he said, you're not spiritual, but all the same, you at least ought to have some music. He's digging around in my glove compartment. There was a tape with back nothing but instrumental music. He put it in. We listened to it. It was a long trip. We listened to it for about 35 minutes. I said, I can't take any more of this. He said, you're going to have to because I need music. He said, how about we do this? We make up words to go with the music we're listening to. I said, this is genius. I said, just do me a favor. Make it all spiritual. He said, oh, I will. It was a little bit of bluegrass music, and he started singing this song. Jesus walking down the road, passing out tracks, passing out tracks. <laughs> Peter and Paul passing out tracks. They got a big stack and passing out tracks. <laughs> I said, biblical. They had no tracks. <laughs> you say, Pastor, what did that have to do with the message? A whole lot. It's the first time I've had your attention all morning. <laughs> but second of all, our Duty is facilitated by the fact we have tracks. 
we have the word of God, we have the seed available. For them it was much more difficult, but it doesn't change the fact we're all supposed to be sowers, and that's on your job, that's with your family. It's not just a designated time during the week, I don't believe, just because church holds a church-wide meeting or so many or an event, an evangelistic event, that that's the moment to get involved. Too many Christians wait for that once or twice a year. Oh, it's VBS. I think it's time for me to be a sower. No, you're supposed to sow in July and sow in September. And so I know for a farmer, it's limited to a certain time of the year. But for a Christian, it's supposed to be all year. Amen. And you don't need, I know these farmers now with the advanced technology, they'll go do all kinds of testings of the soil. Uh, Christians, stop going out and try to test the soil. I didn't give them a track because they looked hard. You looked hard too previous to knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. You too looked unsavable, unsalvageable, unredeemable before salvation. So the sower soweth. What's the seed? He soweth the word. The seed is the word. Now here's the good thing about the seed. You don't have to worry about the seed at all. Okay, in this story, you don't have to worry about the great sower, and you don't have to worry about the per- perfect seed. Everything you ate this week, except for you meat eaters, there was a seed that was planted. Isn't it amazing the greater and all that God has produced on this earth as a result of seeds? The seed of the word of God is still perfect. It's still powerful. The the problem has never been the seed. And the soil doesn't never determine the power of the seed. The seed reveals the condition of the soil. But it's hard to believe the power of God in that seed. You put that seed in the ground, and I know something about this, because my mother made us do this. She didn't let us do biblical sewing. I would have loved to have taken a bag or she gave us these packets. I would love to open up the pack and just flung it out in the dirt that she called a garden. But <laughs> no, we had to actually dig a row and hand finger by finger and then cover it over and then water it and do like mom, if you never heard of grocery stores. I'm worth 15 bucks an hour, and you can buy tomatoes for like three bucks a pound. <laughs> Incredible what mom, moms think up only because they're disgruntled with their children. That's what I think. <laughs> but God has given us seeds, and it doesn't, you know what? It did not matter with what spirit I planted that seed. Here's, here's what we do we always want to throw the blame on. The sower, and let me tell you, all of you, whether you're a witness or whether you're a preacher or your teacher, it's not your presentation. And missions conference we have in all these preachers, and we have people, I like this preacher and I like that style, and I really enjoy listening to that person, and pastors have, have fun. I don't like introducing preachers, just get up and have preach the devil out of us, but you go someplace, and, and they want you to turn in, you know, and then they send it back to you. That's not working. We need something a little more thorough. They, they, they want to be able to stand up and say, uh, Dr. 
do little with a bachelor and a master's and a doctorate and a double doctorate and he studied here and he studied there and he studied everywhere and he's going to impress you and he has the uh, eight by ten foot out there in the back that barely fit his ego on the in the frame and as if all of that's going to make any difference at the end of the day the seed, it's a seed that's powerful. And if the soil is, you know how you're going to receive something at the service when the soil is prepared before you ever walk in the door. Here's the problem with the soil. It can change drastically from day to day. Just because your soil was so good two years ago or four years ago does not mean that is the case today. And look what it says. Verse 15. These are they by the wayside. So you have, let's go, let's just go back first to four through seven and speak about the four. You have uh, first the wayside. Now the wayside speaks of the, the paths or the road uh, there in the fields where the seed is being sown. And you see this. Uh, I've never been a farmer. You go to Iowa, my mom's family, they're all a bunch of farmers, but you have roads through those fields. Uh, they never are going to throw any seed on those roads. They're too pecked down, and those birds will immediately come and pick up that seed. You go to the Philippines, you see those rice fields. It gives me the heebie-jeebies thinking about that and the snakes out there and those people walking you know, up to their, their knees barefoot in that. But just a big marsh is all it is. But you see the paths. They've never invited me out there, but I guarantee you this, they ever did. I make sure to stay on that path. But you want to talk about heartened by uh, all the feet, all the walking is being done, and the Israel's the same way. Christ is making reference to that. He said, when that seed is thrown out on the wayside, immediately that seed is taken, but the ground is too hard to ever receive it. Then it says, verse 5, some fell on the stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. Now, we would think stony ground was dealing with the rock paths, but that's, not, that's why Christ gave us an explanation of this parable because when he talks about stony, he's talking about dirt that looks good on the top, but is very shallow and no root can take place because it has no depth of earth. When the sun was up, it was scorched and it had no root with the weight. Some fell among the thorns. Now, this is the most common ground, the thorny, simply uh, ground where there are a lot of weeds that has been well taken care of. And eventually, here's the thing about grass. You have to, for the most part, plant that seed. How many of you have ever had to plant a thorn or a weed? You've done everything you can to eliminate that, and every year you have the blessing of it coming back, just like your children, to the meal table. <laughs> Verse 8, then other fell on the good ground. They did yield fruit. The sprang of an increase. They brought forth some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. So the Bible tells us those four types. Now, here's the explanation that is given in verse 16, starting with these four types of souls. These are they, likewise, which are sown, uh, excuse me, verse 15. These are they by the wayside where the word is sown. When they have heard, what's it say? Satan cometh immediately. 
and taketh away the word that was on their hearts. And here's what we like to do as Christians. We like to say, okay, this is speaking about the unsafe sitting in church, and I pass out the track down on the streets, or I've knocked on the doors, and I've given them. And obviously, as soon as they step in the door, the track is thrown down. As soon as we get out on the streets, and they walk by, and they stop listening to the preaching, there's no further thought concerning their soul. When they sit in the church service, uh, there's no response to the invitation. When they go home, there's no continual thought of the Word of God. Here's what we do. We try to take the Word of God and make sure there's no chance there's personal application for us. Did you know there's a lot of stony ground right here in this church this morning? I'm a born-again child of God. Here's what happened. You walk in here this morning, your thoughts were not on the Word of God. There was no devotional time. There was no prayer prep. There was no meditation. There was no conversation with God. It was just the hurry and scurry of the Sunday morning, trying to get here and find a parking spot, get in here shaking as few hands as possible, and find your, your seat and hope pastor will be short, which rarely happens on Sunday morning. Come on Sunday night. You may not be disappointed. Here's what happens. Then you sit as soon as that seed is planted, then cometh Satan. It's amazing how quickly, and Satan has a lot lot of dirty birds at his disposal that'll come and take that seed. There'll be distractions. There'll be a baby crying. There's lunch to take care of. There are people you're supposed to be meeting. There's things you have to do. Uh, Some of you are already thinking about all that you're going to be doing tomorrow and how to get that in process. And as soon, it doesn't matter what is given, you know why there are so many Christians that have stopped growing? They've allowed their heart to become hard to the Word of God. Your knowledge of the Word of God can create hardness. Your lack of personal walk with God can create hardness. Your length of time in church because, oh, here we go. Parable soul. I've already read this a dozen times. I've already heard sermons preached on this. And as soon as that happens, there's an emotional, mental, spiritual switch that is turned on or turned off and your heart is hardened. And I promise you this, there are more hold on for a second, in a good independent Baptist church, there are more people whose soil meets the criteria of the first three types of souls than there are that meet the fourth in this church on this morning. As soon as that seed is sown, Satan cometh. So don't think for a minute, well, I'm a Christian, I can't fall into that category. And as soon as this is preached, we immediately turn our mind towards that relative who's rejected the truth or towards that neighbor who tore up the track or towards that person who refused to listen to the gospel as it was being presented. But pastor, I'm certainly not that person. Oh, let me tell you this morning, the majority that come to church are not coming to hear to heed and to immediately apply. Look what it says, verse 16. These are they likewise. So you have the wayside, now you have the stony ground, who when they have heard the word, they immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure, but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth, for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. 
Uh, these are those, once again, stony ground does not mean hard, it means shallow. So that dirt is not allowed, that seed, oh, that plant will immediately pop up, that seed will bud, but it's not going to endure long. There are a lot of Christians that fall into the stony ground category where they come to church, there'll be an emotional response. They love this type of soil, loves church. To receive with gladness. I get to come to church, I get to be around the brethren, look who's singing, look who's preaching, praise the Lord, hallelujah, life is good. Easy to get in the Bible on Sunday, and it never happens on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Easy to praise the Lord on Sunday night. It's just impossible to praise the Lord on Thursday or Friday. Easy to dress like a Christian on Sunday morning. It's just impossible to dress like a Christian on Thursday night at the mall. This is one of those people, they get all pumped up. Uh, Pastor, you know what? I'm going to be a soul winner. And they don't even leave the church with tracks. It's so short-lived, they don't even leave church with drags in their pocket. They're not coming next Saturday morning. Pastor doesn't even get his hopes up. Because it's an emotional response that'll be short-lived. This is the crowd that has preconceived idea about what God should do for them and how their Christian life should turn out. And as soon as uh, things don't happen in the home or in their marriage with their children the way they expected it, as soon as things don't happen in their finances like they were wanting, then we're, we're talking persecution. It's not them going to jail for believing this book. It's the mild opposition of the world or the simple fact that the Christian life was not as smooth as they hoped it would be or not as comfortable serving God as they thought it would be. They go home and talk to their family. The family is disturbed because they went to a Baptist church. And suddenly they say, you know what? These are the ones that you see. They're like firecrackers, big bang, but really short lifespan. Not going to last long. I have, I have people come and say, preacher, can I get involved? Yeah, come talk to me in eight months, 12 months. Why would you do that to someone that's volunteering? Show me some longevity. There's a, there's a lot of seed that looks good at the moment, but it's, it's received with gladness. But all it takes is a little persecution and a little affliction. And here's what the Bible says about them. They are offended. Now, here's, I've got the gift. Pastor, what's your spiritual gift? Mercy or exhortation or administration. My gift is offense. <laughs> I can take the happiest people on the planet and make them offended. Here's what you know about the stony ground. Stony ground people are going to be happy in the service, but eventually they're going to find somebody offended with, a message to be offended with, a truth to be offended with, an application to be offended with, a teacher to be offended with. These are the people. And we, we so preach on, in Christianity, every sin under the sun, and usually those are sins that are not going to take out a single member of our church. Pastor, why don't you preach more often on alcohol? 
if you've got a drinking problem, first of all, you've hidden it well. <laughs> Amen. If there's a drinking problem in this church, it's Starbucks. You know what those, those other sins, not taking out every Christian, you know what the number one sin, successful sin in taking out Christians in the independent Baptist churches? Offense. You go, you go talk to anybody who leaves. Well, you know, here's what I thought. Well, preacher said this, and then he looked me right in the eyeball. I, I laugh. I hear people at times tell me, Pastor, you really prepared that for me, didn't you? Um... I'm going to have to confess, outside of my prayer time, you didn't even cross my mind, and it haven't crossed my mind in like a month. <laughs> if, if you want me to cross your mind, invite me to blacks. But other than that, it's... Can you... Some of you are offended with that statement. I just, I just revealed your stony ground. This is the crowd... Gets happy, short-lived happiness, and the next thing you know, that person you thought was going to go and grow and do so well, they're gone. Shallow Christianity. No deep root. Pastor, how am I going to make it 20 years? Get some deep roots. Now look what it says, verse 18. These are they which are sown among the thorns. Next, soil is thorny. Such hear the word, and the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. You know what thorny ground's about? This choking everything else, if you, if you go out to our house, you'll see about 10 foot of the outer edge around our fence is not mowed. There's no grass out there. It's thorns and weeds. And it gets cut down and it regrows. You know what it does? It constantly dominates any grass that is trying to grow in that area and chokes it out. Now, I'll be honest with you. Number one is an occasional fear. Number two is occasionally seen, but number three is the most common in this generation, at least in our church. Thorny ground. Because if your heart's going to be good soil, you've got to do a lot of wheat pulling. Because the cares of this life and the lust that have more, and uh, either Luke or Matthew throws in a fourth characteristic, fourth characteristic, which is the pleasures of this life. And young people, uh, let me just tell you, you're not exempt. You know what young people do? They walk in talking about uh, the NBA playoffs. And they sit in church for an hour and then they walk out talking about the NBA playoffs. The cares of this life. You'll have guys walk in talking about a work project. They stop, sit down, listen to the word of God. As soon as they get up, walk out the door, they continue the conversation about a work project. Nothing in their heart is helped. Nothing in their life has changed. The thorns have choked out. This is crowded ground. Anything, and let me just say, because there are girls here, well, I don't talk about the MBA, and I don't talk about work projects. <laughs> I think you understand the principle overall. Anything that crowds out the word of God is a thorn that needs to be eliminated from your life. But most of the word of God has no room to grow and to thrive in our hearts. 
Because the bottom line is, can we be honest, church? This application has been made too often for a lost world out there. And they're so concerned and they wouldn't even take a track and they won't even come to church. And we've invited them every special day under the sun, including the Easter anniversary Sunday. Why wouldn't they come for a barbecue? Why wouldn't they come for a special day? I'm not worried about them. You just get the seed out and we'll, we'll talk about the power of the seed and the perfection of the seed. I'm worried about you who comes and sits in the house of God and has soil that is thorny because... Everything concerning this life dominates your thoughts even during the sowing of the seed in a service. Mind consumed, literally, if there's 45 minutes here, 42 and a half minutes are consumed with the things of this life in the best setting that you're in all week to hear and be helped by the word of God. And I won't be discouraged by the results. Oh, I wish after preaching the gospel we'd have people to respond. I wish after preaching the truth we'd have life to change. But at the end of the day, all I can do is sow the seed. And the condition of the soil, uniquely individual to each person here, will determine the outcome. Because if it's a thorny heart, it'll be choked out. The seed, the word of God, will be choked out by everything else that's consuming your thoughts and consuming your mind and consuming your time. Verse 20. These are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, receive it, bring forth fruit. Now look at the impact of the word of God in the seed. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. This good ground. Let me ask you this, church. When's the last time the Word of God produced in your heart 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold response? Would anybody say that sermon? It's not the outline. I, I laugh some of our teenagers. They talk about sermons mentioned in the past. Or, I, I read Sinners in the Hand of Angry God, and I didn't feel the impact. I listened to Fresh Oil. I didn't. Feel the impact. Well, maybe you should listen to Fresh Hold in the Hands of an Angry God. You put those two together, you've got to make sure the Spirit of God do a ministry in your heart. Amen. It's, it's, not, it's not the outlines or the mega preacher that preached the sermon. It's the seed and the work of God and the Spirit of God and people coming with hearts that are prepared soil. And somebody said, well, I'm I'm waiting for that message. High impact. I'll tell you what's going to be high impact. It's not going to be the message. It's not going to be Pastor Adam Thompson. It's not going to be outlined. It's not going to be literated or unliterated to change your life. Here's what's going to change your life. When you actually take a week and you prepare your heart soil, and on a Sunday morning you walk in, tuned in from the first word of the first song, and you come here saying, Holy Spirit of God, I want you to do something. And as soon as I get through those doors, I'm going to start putting it into a practical application into my life because I'd like for my family to see some 30-fold and some 60-fold and some 100-fold. Let me ask you this, church, with all the preaching you've listened to, have you been uh, fought with the Lord Jesus Christ at least a decade? Raise your hand. At least two decades. Raise your hand. Let's raise them big and high so we can see. Oh, many of you have been here in, at least in church, say two decades. Let me ask you this. Maybe the soul of your heart's not as good as you think. Because 
good soul produces 30, 60, and 100. And you haven't even started sowing seed yet. And how many messages have you heard on that subject? In a walk with God in this past week, you missed three days. The problem is not the seed. The problem is not the sower. The problem is the soil. There are people here, sitting here this morning, still, still in your tie. All right, just still in tie. You know, the, the problem is not the scripture. The problem is the soil. As much as this church does for missions around the world, there are still people sitting here, never gotten involved in mission. You know what the problem is? It's not who we bring next year to the missions conference. It's not how many services we have or how many people we have dressed up or how many pieces of cheesecake you eat that's going to change your life. It's how good the soil is because that seed in that soil will produce some 30, some 60, some 100. Church, I will give you an illustration. We'll be done. Missions conference. Most of you have been to our missions conference. October, last week of October, Sunday to Sunday. 23 services. It doesn't matter the angle, the command, the word of God, and what God tells us concerning reaching the world. Eight billion, nearly eight billion souls with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every year we'll have a different selection of men from different continents, different backgrounds, some that have been on the field for 50 years, some that have been on the field for 10 years. We'll give you ways to get involved, opportunities to serve, ways to give. And for a week, we test the soil. It doesn't matter who says amen, shouts hallelujah, fills a pew, thanks God gives a testimony about the life of the missionaries. And that person helped me this week and his message impacted me this week and that testimony really did something for me. The end of the day, the following week, the revelation of the soil begins. Because the good soil produces some 30, some 60, some 100. And guess who that's on? That's on you. That's on me. That's on the individual. And here's what every message does. It doesn't reveal the power of the seed. It reveals the condition of the individual soil. 